God who communicates with people, who speaks. In fact, right at the very start of the Bible, and I know that you've been going through it because I was part of it the last time I was, I was down, which you've looked at recently in your morning services, we read there in the third verse of chapter 1 of Genesis, what do we read there? We read there, and God said, let there be light. And God said, God spoke. Verse 5 of Genesis chapter 1, God spoke, God called. Verse 6, and God said, Genesis chapter 1. Verse 8, God called. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 10, and God called. All the way through the first chapter of Genesis, God is speaking. We hear God's word. Again in chapter 2 of Genesis, we see or we read God speaking. In chapter 3 of Genesis, again in chapter 4, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, in fact, all the way through the first book of the Bible, God is speaking at the start very directly with people, and more often than not, as time goes on, he is speaking through other human beings to other human beings. However, as often as we move through Genesis, we see that God is the God who speaks. God is the God who communicates with us. Our God is not dumb. He speaks. In fact, although Moses doesn't come along until chapter 2 of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, we would want to just mention him here as we look at chapter 13 of Acts. If you've read this closely, for although Moses is not mentioned by name, the period of history in Israel is mentioned where he was instrumental in being used by God. Do you see that in verses 17 and 19? And and you may remember Moses and the incident of the burning bush. As God reveals his identity to Moses as the God of your father, the God of Abraham, who is mentioned in this passage in Acts chapter 13 as well, in verse 26. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And then more intimately, he, he reveals himself to Moses as I am. And then when you get into the New Testament, what is Jesus saying. Jesus is saying, I am, I am, in John's Gospel. God here is calling Moses to be his spokesman to, to Moses' fellow countrymen, the Israelites, and then to be the spokesman along uh, with the elders of the, the people of Israel to confront Pharaoh, answering Moses' question about what happens if they don't believe me. God gives signs to Moses, doesn't he? He gives a staff turning into a snake, hands turning leprous, water from the river turning to to blood. And even then Moses says, Oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since. You have spoken to, to your servant since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who, who, who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. I will, I will speak and I will teach you what to say. Our God speaks. He speaks into this world and he speaks into our lives through his word and by his, by his spirit. God is a God who communicates. And Jesus, when he sent out the twelve to preach the kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven was near, told them not to worry about what they would say when they were arrested on account of him. 
At that time, Jesus said, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. God speaks today. That is what Paul is saying here in in Acts chapter 13, as he gives this historical account of, of, of God's intervention into the world. You see, God is the God who communicates. I, I, um, in a week or two's time, I'm going to a church in, uh, let's say it's a church roughly between Glasgow and Edinburgh. I'm, I'm trying to um, not give you too much detail just to protect the, the innocent, keep the innocent. The last time I was there, I was invited about 15 years ago, and we were invited out for, for, uh, for dinner, Kim and I. We didn't have any children. And uh, before the service started, and I sat down, there was a man, woman, his, his, his wife, husband and wife, and the wife seemed to talk an awful lot. And um, then I realised that when she went into the kitchen, her husband did not say one word. I, I started a conversation with her husband, so what do you do in life? And he said, I'm a mechanic. That was it. You know, if you're trying to have a conversation with someone and someone asks you what you do, what's the next question? And so what do you do? Do you have any children? No. Uh, so, so how long have you been c- coming to this church? 16 years. I'm going back to that church in two weeks, in fact, next week. Um, it, was, it was really difficult to communicate. And it was a relief when, when, when his wife came out with, with the soup. We could talk and eat. He, he wouldn't speak. He wouldn't communicate. God is, is not mute. God speaks. He speaks, however, often and certainly throughout most of history, he has used others to communicate his message to people. That is what this passage of Scripture is is all about. Did you pick that up as we read it? Abraham, Father Abraham is mentioned in verse 26. However, he is alluded to in verse 17. Do you remember that God spoke directly to him? Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abram, Go from your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God spoke to a man in order that that man would be the source, rather God would be the source of blessing, but he would use that man to be a blessing to his family and to be a blessing to others. That's why Father Abraham is mentioned in, in this, this passage. Through the fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God was communicating his message. God was proclaiming himself. God was speaking to his people. Did you know that God speaks? He speaks. Not just through the fathers of the nation, also through, in this passage here, through the judges and the prophets, the very people that God used to communicate his message to to his people. They would call the people, what would the judges, what would the prophets do especially? They would call the people time and time again back to God. You've wandered away, come back. You see, the very fact that the Old Testament scriptures were read in the synagogue as we see it here in, uh, in this passage here, was a reminder to the people of God's dealings, God's history, God's words of the people, to remind the people that God had spoken and that he continues to speak. But he has not just spoken 
through the prophets and the judges. He's also spoken through the testimony and the godliness of a king called David, a king after God's own heart. We have this in this passage, a king who would do everything God wanted him to do. In in, in verse 22, however, the historical account that Paul is giving to the folks gathered in, in this synagogue is only a selected history, for Paul wants to get to the heart of his message, and so do I. The very reason that he is giving this potted history lesson is to remind the folks gathered from verse 22 to 23, Paul jumps a thousand years of history and gets to the arrival of Jesus on earth. The very one whom Paul met on the road to Damascus that you no doubt looked at as you went through your studies in in, in Acts, for Paul knows that the very complete and true communication of God to us, the most powerful way that God has spoken to us, is through Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews writes. At the start of Hebrews chapter 1, in the past God spoke Um, to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe you see Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God for verse 3 of chapter 1 of Hebrews tells us that Jesus the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being you see God spoke in the past He has fully spoken to us through his Son. Would God just reveal himself, some of my friends say? He has revealed himself 2,000 years ago by taking, by the Son, taking on flesh and coming into this, this world. God speaks, but not only does God speak, God also saves. This is quite simply a truth which is underlined in every passage of Scripture. In every page of Scripture, church does not save. Church attendance does not save. Or indeed on this very special day when we are celebrating baptisms, baptism does not save. If ever or I need, or we ever need to get a message, the message, this question correct, it's the question of how people can be saved. It's God who saves. Even the greatest message you have ever heard in this church, even Andy's greatest message, cannot save. Only God can save. Do you remember the greatest act of God's salvation in the Old Testament? We have it here. In in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 17, with mighty power God led them out of, of Egypt. The people of God were slaves in Egypt. You remember the story? They were slaves in Egypt. They had come as shepherds, but found themselves as slaves. And God, in a wonderful way, brought them out of slavery from Egypt. And as they are fleeing for their lives from Pharaoh's army, they cross the Red Sea in a miraculous way. Men, women, children and babies, yet an army trained, hardened men, Pharaoh's army, were swept into the sea and killed. And not one of them survived, the scriptures teach me. Not one of Pharaoh's army survived. And on that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And then we have one of the most powerful praise songs in the Word of God. It's found in Exodus chapter 15, verse verse 1. When Moses, then Miriam sings, and then all the Israelites sing, I will sing to the Lord. 
For he is highly exalted, the horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. King David, in this passage, verse 22, you may remember, or you may be aware that he wrote a number of songs that we have recorded in in, in the Word of God. They are called Psalms, they're in the book of Psalms. He writes this, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. The Bible is full to the brim of references to the fact that salvation comes from God alone. But the ultimate proof that God saves is found in the climax of Paul's message on that day to those gathered in the synagogue in verse 23. From David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour. He promised Jesus. Remember, we're approaching Christmas. How can you forget? Christmas cards. Um, Shops are full after Black Friday, full of Christmas stuff. When the angels appeared, the angel appeared to Joseph. And the angel explained... To, to Joseph that his fiancée Mary was carrying no ordinary child but one conceived by the Holy Spirit. The angel said to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Salvation belongs to God. The very name given to God's Son explains that God saves and Paul explains to those listening in verse 38 that through Jesus the forgiveness of sin, salvation is proclaimed to you. Verse 39, through him everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? You, you cannot know salvation unless you know Jesus. Because on that day the first and the only and the true Black Friday. When the sun should have been at its brightest, the sun was darkened as God the Son, God the Father placed upon God the Son the iniquity and the sin that was mine and yours. And He bore that sin away, taking the punishment that I should have experienced and that for all eternity. Taking the punishment, he became my substitute on the cross. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Jesus has provided the way of salvation. And Paul says, and I say to you, I want you to know that through Jesus, salvation is proclaimed to you. The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. But thirdly, and I must move on quickly, God not only speaks... God not only saves. In this passage of Scripture, and it's unusual that my, my, my points begin with the same letter, but they do today. God sends. Again, in the context of this passage, Paul and his companions have come to Sidian Antioch. They have been set out by the church at Antioch, the other Antioch, you remember? You've looked at that just a week or two ago. They've been sent out by the church, haven't they? Have they? Yes, they were sent out by the church. However, do you remember who called Paul and Barnabas? 
It wasn't the church that called Paul and Barnabas. It was the, if you look back in verse 2 of chapter 13, it was God the Holy Spirit who said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then again in verse 4, the two of them were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. God sends. And even when we read on in the passage, we see some of the Jews, that's for, for, for next week, the Jews rejecting the gospel. We see Paul and Barnabas turning to share the gospel with the Gentiles. They are sent out not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. You see, Paul realizes that he has been sent out, not just by a church, that's important, but he has been sent out by God, the God who sends people. And there is always a mixed reaction to the gospel that you will look at next week. And did you notice, as I draw this to a conclusion, did you notice the emphasis in Paul's gospel proclamation? In fact, it was Peter's gospel, the emphasis in Peter's gospel proclamation on the day of, of, of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We have it in verse 30, if, you, if you've got your Bible still open. We have it in verse 31. We have it in verse 33. We have it especially in, verses, in verse 34. But it is also in verse 35 and it is in verse 37. And it is this. Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. He was dead. He was buried And he now is presently alive. Paul is also concerned that he presents to us a living Saviour, Jesus. We do not serve a dead Saviour. We serve one and we worship one who once was dead. Praise God that he died for us. But he is now alive. He lives. As a research for one of my papers a few years back that I was writing in Glasgow, I met and spoke with a number of people from the Muslim faith. And my research led me to a young... Yeah, he was young. He was about my age, so he was young. Young imam, who very kindly let me visit the mosque. Very kind man. He gave me an hour of his time and told me of all the activities that took place in the mosque. My questions about Islam and what struck me about this hour or so that I spent with him was how excited he got when he showed me one of the photos in one of the cultural rooms just off the side of the mosque. It was a photo of Medina. And the impressive building there and he told me about the pilgrimages and proudly told me of the fact that the Prophet Muhammad's body was buried there and he told me of a place that is prepared for Jesus' body when he comes back. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you'll know this truth, that that place prepared for Jesus will always be empty. For the only burial chamber of Jesus Christ He only used it for three days and it lies empty today wherever it is. He's alive. He lives forevermore. And one of my favourite questions and answers in the Bible is found in Luke's Gospel. You may remember that the woman went to the tomb of Jesus on the first day of the week and on the third day after the death 
of Jesus on a cross. And while they were wondering about the stone rolled away, the very fact that the body was no longer there, two angels appeared to them and asked them a question that still sends shivers down my spine. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you. Jesus is alive and he has conquered death so that I and you need never fear it. That's why you and I, like Paul, as he quoted the prophet Hosea, can shout, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Christ is alive. He was dead and he is alive. And that is Paul's message. And that is the gospel we take out. We take out the gospel of a saviour who died, but on the third day rose from the dead. And he's alive, and he's alive, and he can change my life today. And he speaks into my life today through his word and by his spirit. I'm sure that we can all shout at the top of our lungs as we've been encouraged to do this morning. Hallelujah! Salvation belongs to our God. He's alive. And so here, end of Paul's history lesson. Told from God's perspective, Revealing to us a God who speaks, a God who saves, and a God who sends us out with the gospel of a living Saviour. May that living Saviour and the fact of a living Saviour impress upon your heart this as we approach Christmas time. Because that baby who came became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. He ascended into heaven, Acts tells us. He ascended into heaven and he intercedes. He prays for us at the right hand of his Father on high and he awaits the day when, just like at the start of Acts, the disciples are told, this same Jesus who's been taken from you will return in the same way you have seen him go. That's God's history from his perspective. Let's pray.